Good morning. We come together today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, confident that he has called us by his word and spirit, and that he desires to pour out his blessing upon his people, because truly our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. And we are called to worship this morning in words from Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And as we exalt the name of the Lord, our God, giving him the praise that is his due, we know that he is present here with us. He loves us and he greets us this morning. Grace to you and peace. From God our Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we continue to worship this morning, we are called to confession in words also from Psalm 34. The psalmist wrote, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. And in the strength of this assurance, let's look to the God of our salvation and seek his gracious help through prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning acknowledging that we have not been the people that you called us to be in Christ Jesus, our Savior. You have redeemed us that we might walk in the light and that we might live for your glory, that we might be living testimonies to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, reflecting him in all that we do, that people may see the good that we do and give glory to you, our Father in heaven. Even so, Lord, we acknowledge that we have on so many occasions failed to be those people, to reflect the glory of Christ to the world around, to bear witness faithfully to the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we come to you, Lord, seeking once again your forgiveness, seeking once again, Lord, that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that even as we comprehend the forgiveness that you have given us through faith in Christ, we may be transformed from within, that we may be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable in your sight, and that, Father, as living sacrifices, we would prove that good and perfect will, that will that you have expressed for us in Scripture as we live for your glory, for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and in the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God's word goes on to tell us in Psalm 34, verse 15, that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. As the Apostle Paul wrote, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
So be assured that as you trust in Christ alone, all of your sins are completely forgiven. Amen. As we continue to worship the Lord our God this morning, let's look to him once more in prayer. Father in heaven, you are great and greatly to be praised. We come to you this morning acknowledging that you are our creator, that you made all things by the word of your power in the space of six days and all very good. We come to you this morning acknowledging that it is only by the hand of your providence that upholds all things, that we have life and breath and health and all that we need for life and godliness. You alone, O Lord, are the source of every good and perfect gift. You are the God who cares for us. You are the God who heals us. You are the God who has called us by name and known us from before the foundation of the world that we might belong to you, body and soul, in life and in death. Father, even so, we pray that you would give us eyes to see the way that you are at work powerfully in the kingdoms of this world to bring the fullness of the kingdom of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray that as we look around at hurricanes and forest fires and civil unrest and wars and rumors of wars and so many things, Father, that may tempt some people to think that you are not God over all, that, Lord, we may see rather the invisible hand of your providence working out your purposes for your people, working out your purposes for your kingdom, working out your purposes for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, that as his kingdom comes in its fullness, as he reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords, Prince of Peace, that more and more the people of this world and the nations of this world would submit to you, that more and more we, your people, the church of Jesus Christ, would submit to you and, Father, would allow your kingdom to come in our hearts that we might not look at this world with fear, that we might not look at this world as some untamed beast, but rather understand that you are truly God over all, that even when the nations of the world and the kingdoms and, and kings of this earth take counsel together against you and against your anointed, saying, let us cast their yoke from us, you, enthroned in the heavens with your son at your right hand, laugh, for you have set your king on Zion, your holy mountain, and your king is our savior, Jesus Christ. We pray then, Father, that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven, that your will would be accomplished in our lives, that your will would be accomplished in our families, that your will may be accomplished in the province of Alberta and the nation of Canada and in all the nations of the world. We pray, Father, that your will would be accomplished in our hearts as we turn to your word and understand your call on our life and seek to faithfully live for your glory and praise. We pray that your word would be accomplished in the people and nations of this world as you accomplish your purpose in them, through them, and sometimes even in spite of them. We pray for the leaders of our nation, for Prime Minister Trudeau and his cabinet, 
We pray, Father, for the leaders of our province, for Jason Kenney. We pray, Father, for the medical doctors and experts who are so integrally involved in our lives during these days, making recommendations and setting policy for how we must live in a time of pandemic. Lord, we pray that you would give wisdom to those who lead us at the national level and provincial level and even here in our town of High River. We pray that you would give wisdom to your people as well. That, Father, as we listen and submit and obey to the extent that we can to those that you have set in power over us, that we may never betray our allegiance to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, but rather, Father, recognize that though we live here in this world, our citizenship truly is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. Make us faithful and obedient servants. Help us to live boldly. Help us to speak the word without fear. Help us to be the people that you have called us to be in Christ Jesus, that our lives may testify to his glory, to his honor, to his power, to the fact that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Lord, we pray that in that authority we would go, that we would so live and so speak, that we may make disciples of the nations and of the people that live in the neighborhood around us, of the people in our own families who may not yet trust in you. Lord, we pray that you would give us this day all that we need to be those people, that you would provide for us in spirit, that you would strengthen us through the work of your grace within, that, Father, we may be the people that will walk in obedience to you, walking in the light as you yourself are in the light. We pray as well that you would give us all that we need for body and soul during the time that we live here in this world. Provide for us our daily bread. Provide for us homes in which to live. Provide for us, we pray, meaningful employment and the opportunity to earn wages that, Father, we may have all that we need and also may have more than we need and be able to give generously to your work here in this world. We pray especially, Father, at this time of the year when some are still actively engaged in the tasks of harvest, that, Lord, you would provide for the needs of our farmers, the farmers in this community. We pray that you would give what is needed in the way of weather, that harvest may continue. We pray, Father, that you would give strength and safety to those who labor with machines that often can be dangerous. We pray that here in the area around High River and in fact all around the world, there would be a harvest that is abundant enough to provide for the needs of all of the people of this world. Lord, that there would be food for those who are hungry, that there would be many ways in which your bounty would be seen and that we would give thanks for all that you have done. Father, we think as well of those who are sick and struggling within our own congregation and Father, within our community and within our families, we pray for your healing touch. We pray, Father, that as you know each one and the need of each body and each soul, that you would so work by your grace and spirit that your purpose would be accomplished, that, Father, you would bring healing, and that, Father, whatever may come, we would look to you and understand that we belong to you and you are at work in us. And Lord, your grace will lead us home. Father, we pray for those who are traveling 
this weekend. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that we have had to be able to go and to visit in other places and to see family members. We pray for safety on the roads that you would watch over our coming and going and let the light of your countenance shine upon us. We think of Ron and Linda Dees returning home from the trip to his brother's memorial service. Lord, we pray that you would give grace and peace to them and to their family, that in all of these things, your glory and your grace may abound, that, Father, we may find you to be that rock and refuge, a very present help in the time of trouble. Lord, we pray as well for the return to school and some of the ordinary activities of the fall as we see that happening and unfolding around us. We pray for the students who have returned to class in person, that, Lord, you would surround them and protect them, keep them from illness, prevent them from being carriers who might bring a COVID infection into their home or to others. Lord, we pray for those who are engaged in classes online, that in spite of all of the distractions and the temptations to procrastinate, that, Lord, they would be busy about the task of learning more about the world that you made, that your glory may shine through in these things, and that, Father, they may come to a knowledge not only of the truths of history and mathematics and all the different subjects that they may study, but a true knowledge of you and of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray for the programs of our church as we look for ways in which to continue to minister to the people that you have placed in this congregation. We think of catechism beginning soon and Father, other Bible studies and programs and we ask that your spirit would so work through these things that you would build up this body of your people. Help us to grow in faith. Help us to grow in grace. Help us to grow in numbers as well as you add to the number of your church daily, those who are being saved. Father, we pray that as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Savior Jesus Christ, we may also show that grace to one another, that you would forgive us our trespasses, as we are determined as evidence of that grace at work within us to forgive those who have trespassed against us. May we show your love and your mercy and your grace to one another in ways that overcome the snares and the darts and the temptations of the evil one, that, Father, we may be one as you and your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, are one, that the world may see and the world may know that you have sent him to be our Savior. Father, we pray that you would not lead us into temptation and trial, but deliver us from evil and deliver us from the evil one as we take up the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the sandals of peace, and the sword of the spirit, which is your word, and take our stand against the fiery darts of the evil one. Father, we pray that you would enable us this day and this week in all that you have given us to do, in the words that we speak, in the tasks that we perform, in the relationships that we have with one another. Lord, enable us by your grace and by your spirit to truly live for your honor and glory and praise. Lifting up the name of Jesus, doing all that we do for your glory and in the power of your Holy Spirit, for truly yours is the kingdom. And the power belongs to you and the glory forever and ever. 
as we pray in the name of our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Again this week we have two scripture readings, both picking up in the same text that we read last Sunday morning and carrying on a little bit farther as we continue our study of the book of Ruth, the gospel according to Ruth, as I have entitled this series, today specifically focusing on providence and repentance. Our first reading then is from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 20. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country where he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed his pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Our second reading this morning is from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 and reading through the end of the chapter in verse 22. Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 through 22. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to, from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will not. We will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? 
Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we turn our thoughts to the word of God this morning, let's look to the Lord our God in a prayer for the illumination of his Holy Spirit. Father, as we have read the word and as we take time to contemplate it, we pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would speak to build us up, that you would speak to increase our faith, that you would speak, and that in hearing your word, Father, we would obey, not being forgetful hearers, but being faithful doers. Lord, not being those who deceive ourselves, but rather those who bring glory and honor and praise to you as we live faithfully and obediently to your word in the name of Jesus our Savior. Amen. You may never have stopped to think about it, even those of you who are likely to routinely read romance novels, but most of the world's best romances can be reduced to simple stories about love finding a way in the most unlikely of places. Think of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, which tells the story of two young people whose families would have them despise one another as enemies, but whose hearts are drawn together like two compasses, both pointing toward magnetic north. Or think of Gabriel Oak, the simple shepherd in Thomas Hardy's Far From the Madding Crowd, who falls for a young woman whose desire is to marry someone far more interesting and wealthy than he. Of course, in Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, that tale is nearly reversed, as young Mr. Darcy struggles against an inbred pride that would keep him from the one that his heart desires. Not that I'm 
connoisseur of the great romances. I, I have read all of these, and I've read others where the theme recurs again and again. And I think the reason for this is that in one way or another, all of the great romances, in fact, all of the great stories, have their roots in the greatest story of all. The story that God has been telling to his people from the beginning, the story of his love for the people that he created and called, and of how he goes out of his way to demonstrate that love. The book of the prophet Ezekiel gives us this in summary in chapter 16. The PG-13 version goes like this. Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you, and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you, in your blood, live. I said to you, in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your body was formed and your hair had grown. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you are at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered you. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. This is the story of God's love for his people Israel. This is the story that is told to us over and again on the pages of scripture. It's the story in a way of Adam and Eve, of Jacob and Rachel, David and Bathsheba, Solomon, and the Shulamite. It's the divine romance, as one author has called it, between God and his people, between Christ and the church. It's the reason why, at one time or another, young men want to be heroes and young women princesses. As John Eldridge has written, in all of our hearts lies a longing for a sacred romance. It will not go away in spite of our efforts over the years to anesthetize or ignore its song or attach it to a single person or endeavor. It is a romance couched in mystery and set deeply within us. And this is the book of Ruth, a story of romance, the story of romance blossoming in the midst of bitterness and bigotry. The story of love and acceptance springing up out of parched ground. It's the romance of grace and redemption overcoming all obstacles. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, giving instead beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So it's a familiar story at least to those who have read through the scriptures of the Old Covenant or attended Sunday school for any length of time. But as we saw last Sunday, it's a story that we often fail to keep in its context, missing both the passion and the point. But for this morning, all we really need to see is that this book is really two parallel stories. There is, of course, the story of Ruth, 
the Moabitess, as she is designated in chapter one, the foreigner, the enemy, as she might have been perceived by the people of Bethlehem at that time. Remember the setting, as we saw last Lord's Day. The story takes place during or near the time when the Israelites had done evil in the eyes of the Lord and Eglon, the king of Moab, gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek and went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. At that time, Israel was oppressed by the Moabites for 18 years. So whether it was actually during those years or even for a significant time afterward, as I said last Sunday, Israel and Moab were not friends. They were not allies. They were not brothers. So when the author highlights the fact that Ruth was a Moabitess, he's not just including an irrelevant detail. Israel fell about Moab the way many people today might feel about terrorist organizations and anarchists in other parts of the world. And Ruth's Moabite ethnicity would not have scored any points for her or for her mother-in-law. But the book of Ruth might also have been called the book of Naomi because it is her story as much as the story of her daughter-in-law. It is, as we saw last week, the prodigal son's story of the old covenant. The story of a woman who finds herself by sin and circumstance taken to a place where she is cut off from the blessing of living in covenant with God and his people. There had been food in Moab. It had seemed like the thing to do at the time, but there had been disaster waiting for her there as well. Elimelech, whose name means the Lord is king, had left behind Bethlehem. He had left behind the house of bread. And he had taken his wife and sons to a pagan land where the people worshiped false gods, all for the sake of food and prosperity, only to find death in that far country. And Naomi, his wife, was taken along for the ride. But here the story really begins. Because as with the prodigal son and Jesus' story, Naomi will come to recognize that ultimately, even though it may appear otherwise, the place of blessing is the place where God dwells in the midst of his people. So she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And please understand, this is the very essence. This is the very definition of true repentance. True repentance is recognizing that our sin and even our circumstance have drawn us away from the place of God's blessing and then by the grace and the spirit of God determining in our hearts that we want to return and then returning. Please note that the prodigal son does not wake up one morning in that far country after breaking the fast on food that was barely fit for pigs and then say to himself, I sure feel bad about all of this. I think I'll write a letter home to dad and tell him how bad I feel. He wakes up one day and he says to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And in the very next verse, Jesus says, and he arose 
and came to his father. Naomi did too. Probably not so much to her father in Israel. Her father was probably long since dead. But to her father in heaven. To the living God who had promised that if his people would love him and keep covenant with him, then he would bless them and he would be a loving father, a loving husband even. The God who sees and the God who provides. Even so, like the prodigal son, Naomi does not see the error of having run into the far country with her husband, feel sorry about it, share her feelings with God, and then continue to live there. So many people today seem to think that this is repentance, to just recognize that we've done wrong and to acknowledge that to God, but then to go on doing the wrong. Naomi doesn't see the error of having run into the far country and then feel sorry about it, as if repentance were simply saying to the living God, I'm doing this thing, I'm living in rebellion against you, and I'm going to keep on doing it, but I promise to feel really bad about it. And I'm sure sorry that it bothers you, God. That's not repentance. It's not even confession, really. It's nothing. In my childhood home, there was a cookie jar. Linda and I still have it somewhere to this day, although we don't use it anymore because it's now a collectible. So you wouldn't want to keep cookies in there or anything like that. But when I was a kid, we did. And I hated it. I hated that jar because you could lift the lid easily without making a sound. But when you went to put it back on, it always made a noise, and then mom would know that you were taking a cookie, um, which wasn't a problem unless you had been not to, told, told not to take a cookie. And I'm sure this will come as a surprise to many of you, but there was a time or two when my sisters were told not to have a cookie, and they thought to have one anyway. And I remember them being caught, and, and possibly myself as well. And not feeling particularly bad about the cookie crumbs on my chin or all over the counter, but feeling bad about having been caught. So after being scolded or whatever it was that mom did, it was the 60s after all, I said I was sorry. And then, I I mean, my sister said that she was sorry. And we determined at the next available opportunity to practice getting that lid back onto the cookie jar until we were able to do it in silence so that we would never be caught again. But you see the difference. I'm sorry I got caught. I know it pains you to punish me, so next time I will try harder to not get caught. That's not repentance. That's not a turning away. It's not a going back. Repentance is, I am sorry that I did wrong. I am sorry that I disobeyed. I am so sorry, in fact, that it's my intent to turn away from this thing and to never do it again. So Naomi repented. Not merely in thought or in word, but in deed and in truth. She arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. She had gone one direction, she turned, and she went back. And consider her reason. For she had heard in the fields of Moab 
that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. In other words, she hears about the provision of God for his people. She hears about the providence of God. And it's God's providence that leads her to repentance. Similar to what Paul said in Romans chapter 2, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. It's exactly what turned Naomi hearing and remembering what God was doing for his people in the land of Israel was what drew her back into what would become an awkward situation. And Ruth, her story is all the more remarkable because unlike Naomi, who is returning to the home and the faith of her childhood, Ruth is called by the grace of God to go home to a place she's never been before, if I can steal a line from John Denver, knowing little, if anything, of the God of Israel, this young Moabite woman driven by a fierce love for one of God's people says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And furthermore, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Ruth had to expect that she would outlive her mother-in-law. But she did not expect to repent of her decision to follow Naomi back to Bethlehem. She expected to die in that place and there to be buried. And this, this genuine turning, this genuine repentance, this is the beginning of the sacred romance. God calls. He loves his people and he longs for us to live in a place where he can bless us. For our part, the faraway places to which we sometimes run, we must not only hear the word of God there, but hearing that call, we must determine to return and then return. I knew a man once in another congregation who told me that he liked to hear the Ten Commandments every Sunday because he thought that we all needed that little weekly dose of guilt, his words, not mine. But it's not enough to simply come to church, feel a little guilty, and then go on our way doing the same old things. It's not enough if we are yet without hope and without God in the world, if we do not believe, as Paul said in the book of Ephesians. If we do not yet believe, then we must hear the call of Jesus, come and follow, and we must turn, we must repent and follow. That's what saving faith is. That's what saving faith does. Faith follows. And if we are already disciples, but we have wandered away, remember Naomi was an Israelite. Naomi was a daughter of the covenant. Then we need once again to hear the call of Jesus as he said to his disciples centuries ago, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And we must turn and we must follow. Naomi did. She heard that God had again visited his people she heard of God's providence, and it was God's providence that moved her even in her bitterness. 
So she packed her bags and she turned her feet toward home and finding her way there, even as the barley harvest, the season of blessing was about to begin. She found God was waiting for her in Bethlehem. God was waiting for her in the house of bread, waiting to bless her in ways that she, in her emptiness and bitterness, could never even imagine. Even today, as we read in the parable of the prodigal son, the father waits. The father waits at the end of the lane, but we must come, we must return, we must seek him with all of our heart, remembering his promise to his people, you will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. The romance of redemption begins when we turn away from the emptiness of sin, when we turn away from the bitterness into which we so easily descend and seek the loving embrace of the living God. And then step by step, as he draws us nearer to himself, we find in him love, joy, peace, blessing. All that our hearts have longed for, all that we were searching for in that far off country. And this is true repentance. This is true faith in the living God and in his son, Jesus Christ. The father awaits. Let's turn our hearts toward home. May we pray. Father in heaven, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church today and give us hearts to follow wherever you may lead. In Jesus' name, amen. As we have come together today in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we are sent out in his name. And we are sent out with words from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And as you go your way this morning, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, and all God's people said, Amen.